And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning. Welcome to The Real Investment Show. I'm your host, Lance Roberts, for this technical Tuesday, as they say, uh, as we kind of get through this first week of October. Uh, also kicking off the fourth quarter of the year. And of course, that means third quarter earnings are going to about to start flooding our doorways here very shortly. We'll start getting all the reports from the big companies talking about earnings. Seems like we just got through earnings season. Now we're back in earnings season again. It happens quick. So um, this can be very interesting to watch this earnings season in particular as we head into the end of the year to see what companies are saying about, most importantly, inflation, right? Are they able to pass those inflationary costs on to consumers? One of the kind of the interesting challenges right now is CEO confidence uh, and CFO confidence, really both. But CEO confidence in particular has dropped to very low levels. In other words, they are not confident about the economy coming up. And what that means for the business now, normally CEO confidence precedes rising levels of unemployment, right? So now you know, we have to start talking about potential higher levels of unemployment, rising jobless claims. Of course, that would be co coincident with the onset of a recession high, caused by higher interest rates. And of course, all the things that we've been talking about for a while, right? So, you know, this is one thing to be looking for in these corporate announcements is, is going to be what they're saying about the future. It's, it's really not going to be very much about what they actually report. Um, you know, most of the analysts have already lowered expectations, so we'll get back into that whole, you know, kind of season where we have a lot of earnings beats because they're beating lowered earnings, and, and we do that on a regular basis. But the outlook will be very important for these companies. So if they report okay earnings, but have a terrible outlook, that could really still impact stocks. So one of the things to really watch for as we move into this fourth quarter is going to be those earnings reports. Those are going to potentially weigh on stocks. Now, this morning, futures are pointing up fairly sharply because uh, we actually started this little bit of a bounce yesterday. There is now, uh, we are moving back to where we were in those June lows where we had so much negative sentiment. Now, remember, this is where everybody started betting on the Fed to pivot. Well, here we go again, already headlines. Fed's going to pivot here shortly, and, and so now we've got to buy stocks, right? So uh, markets did rally. Good news yesterday, very nice rally in the markets yesterday. Did recover those June lows, so we're, so we're back to basically where those June lows were. So that, that one-day break below those June intraday lows was not confirmed because of, of the rally yesterday. Um, we have not yet triggered our more important buy signals. Um, so those are still on sell signals. So again, right now, be a little bit cautious. Now, futures are pointing up nicely this morning. Uh, S&P's up about 61, 62 points. Um, uh, Dow's futures are up about 400 points this morning. NASDAQ's up about 230 points. So it's going to be a very nice open this morning. We'll have a nice little pop. The, the question's going to be, can we sustain it? And I think the answer is yes. You know, last Tuesday, we wrote the article called Short Squeeze is Coming, and, and that's on the website now at realinvestmentadvice.com. But you can go back and, and read that article from Tuesday. 
um, because it goes through all the reasons why we are due for a fairly decent short squeeze here. One, we've got a very high level of shorts, first of all, um, record put options, those type of things. So that all provides the fuel for the rally, right, as those have to cover. And so the more this market rallies, the more of those short positions you're going to have to cover. That's going to lead to uh, a bigger rise in the markets. And of course, the other side of this is, is such negative sentiment that will start getting rid of some of that negative sentiment, right? So the, the people that are, have been out of the markets or, or you know, sold low here recently, they're going to try to get back into the market. That'll help lift the markets up. So again, as we've talked about here uh, recently, our expectation right now, and again, we could go further, is for this rally to go somewhere between 3,800 and 3,900 on the S&P. And again, I think there's some reasons to be a little bit more bullish here near term. And uh, again, a kind of a nice setup for a tradable rally here, at least for a couple of weeks, if not longer. And particularly as we start getting into earnings season, there, there's, we haven't really kicked that off yet. So we've got a little bit of time here where the markets have a chance to rally. Also, economic news is likely going to be just a little bit better than expectations. Uh, that'll also help kind of lift some sentiment here as well. Uh, economic outlooks are pretty dire at this point, so it's not going to be really difficult to have some economic surprises, particularly as we move into the fourth quarter. Um, as we just saw last week, the Atlanta Fed GDP now went from a 0.5% reading to 2.4% for the third quarter. So again, the third quarter GDP reports are likely to be fairly decent. Uh, that's going to give a little bit of lift to economic optimism because things are so negative right now. Uh, that's going to help also kind of buoy stocks just a bit here. So uh, again, there's uh, some good reasons here as we talked about recently is you know not to panic sell these lows. You're going to get a better opportunity to do that. Looks like we may have started this. Now look, a, a one-day rally, a two-day rally certainly doesn't mean a bull market is back by any stretch of the imagination. And we've seen these one, two-day rallies fizzle out very quickly and stocks go to new lows. So don't, you know, what you don't want to do here is go, well, if we get back to 4,000, you know, that's where I'll sell. Don't do that. Sell on the way. As you go higher, if you need to raise some cash and rebalance risk, use this rally to sell into. So as, as markets go up, start lifting some of that um, exposure out of your portfolio. If you want to trade this rally, I think there's a decent trade. Um, you know, again, you've got to, you know, a couple hundred points to the upside here. So there's a decent trade on this if you just want to do a short-term swing trade in the markets. Again, as we start looking at some of the longer-term dynamics, the trend of the market's clearly negative going all the way back to the beginning of this year. And again, we've got a lot of downward pressure on the markets as well, where we're where we're currently positioned, um, you know, moving averages are, are sloping lower. The 200-day moving average is sloping lower. Um, you still have, you know, a lot of concerns here with the Fed hiking interest rates, uh, quantitative tightening that hasn't reversed yet. So those are also going to, is pulling liquidity out of the market. So uh, while we can get a decent rally here, and again, not surprising that we won't get one. Um, we've talked about how negative everything has been as of late, kind of a broken record <laughs> for the last week or so has been, hey, we're going to get a rally. Well, here it is. Um, you know, but again, don't think that this is the beginning of the new bull market because it's most likely not. Um, you know, we've been running that analog of the 2008 market, and we are right at the point right now to where this was the low level for the market in 2008 prior to the rally just before the Lehman crisis. Now, I'm not, and, and, and clearly, I'm not saying we're about to have another Lehman event by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just saying from a market analog standpoint, we're at that low point 
with a lot of negative sentiment where the market gives you an opportunity to clean up your portfolio. So I certainly suggest you do that. Now, once the Fed actually starts changing direction, softening their language, those type of things, we'll talk about that then. But that is certainly not the case at the moment. And Fed officials have not made any utterance about changing their position on aggressively hiking rates, even though there are clear signs that things are starting to break economically. Bank of England, Bank of Japan, Credit Suisse, others, you know, are certainly starting to show some signs that the financial stability of the markets are becoming a bit more unstable, at least at that point. You know, there's some fractures in the system. But again, the Fed not changing their outlook right now. Um, when we come back from the break, got a, lot, a few things to get into this morning. So stick around. More of the Real Investment Show is coming up. Our latest blog post is out on the website right now talking about this very thing, talking about this market instability and you know what the Fed is likely going to do next. That's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. While you're there, send us your questions, comments, emails. Been getting a lot every day. Happy to answer them for you. realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Let's go, girls. What do women want when it comes to finances? Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for a special ladies' edition lunch and learn what women need from Social Security. Thursday, October 20th at noon. Get the most out of your Social Security benefits. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next ladies' lunch and learn what women need from Social Security. Thursday. October 20th at noon with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show this morning. So just interesting survey. I'll, I'll get back to our, our show here in a second. But an interesting survey up on CNBC during the break. Uh, KPMG just ran a survey and they surveyed four, 400 of the top companies. 70% of the companies they surveyed said that ESG has improved their financial performance. You know, so taking on ESG structures have, have helped improve their financial performance. And, and remember, ESG is not just about climate change. It's environmental, social, and governance, right? So obviously, if you you know, take more governance uh, of your company, yeah, your financial performance will likely improve a bit. Now, interesting, so that's 70%. Now, 59% say that they plan to pause or, um, you know, reverse their ESG programs. <laughs> so what's this telling you, right? So 70% of these CEOs say, yeah, ESG helped improve our performance, but 59% are now saying, yeah, but we're going to reverse all that. So, you know, is it actually improving their financial performance or is it restricting their ability to extract capital from the company? That's the, the question you have to ask yourself, particularly as we, we move into this. You know, we've talked for a while that uh, ESG is, you know, is really just another kind of greenwashing scam for a lot of companies and really hasn't done much to improve, you know, society as a whole. 
but it sounds great, right? This was a, a torch that was carried by BlackRock, and, and it gave these companies the ability to charge you a whole lot more for the exact same product, right? So, um, you know, again, if you go to our website, realinvestmentadvice.com, simply type in ESG in the search bar at the top of, the, uh, top of our webpage, um, you'll see several articles written on, on the Great Wall Street scam. Be careful what you buy. Um, you know, Wall Street is great about providing product and narratives. And, you know, before you go invest in something, A, make sure you understand what you're investing in, but also make sure it is exactly what, you know, you're buying what you think you're buying. And again, a lot of these stories and narratives are great, but in reality don't work, you know, exactly as promoted. And, and so just something to think about. Anyway, okay, so back to our stories today. So we've, we've been writing about for the last couple of weeks, and I'm not done yet. I have two more articles coming out next week, um, talking about financial instability and, and kind of what's going on. You know, the Federal Reserve is, you know, currently in this process of hiking rates, you know, very quickly. One of the fastest periods of rate hikes, you have to go back to the 70s for a faster, you know, span of rate hikes. And market obviously kind of feeling that impact, right? Less liquidity in the markets. Markets have been under pressure this year. And, and that's not surprising to see that happen, right? Quantitative tightening. Um, you know, and, and there's been a lot of hopes here that, you know, the, the Federal Reserve will reverse course fairly shortly and, you know, kind of get back to doing monetary accommodation. But as I was saying just before the, the break, there's absolutely no sign of that. If you listen to... The Fed speakers currently, they are not letting on. Now, look, they could all be playing poker face right now and just, you know, toting the line at the moment. But, you know, behind the scenes, you know, there's kind of a mild panic running through the Federal Reserve. I don't know if that's the case or not, but they certainly you, you would certainly have to think that with what's going on globally, that they've got to at least be concerned. The Bank of you know, Bank of Japan recently having problems, Bank of England having to reverse course, start buying gilts to, you know, stabilize their pension funds. And pension funds, by the way, are, are a big problem, not just internationally, but domestically, right? We've got a lot of people tied into pension funds. And pension funds, you know, are huge. Think about the California pension fund, CalPERS right? Huge, huge, billions upon billions of dollars. And, you know, the, you know, the surge in interest rates and borrowing costs, etc., certainly impact those pension funds. And, and the big problem with a pension fund at the Bank of England was that they had borrowed collateral on margin to help boost their returns. And so when interest rates started rising, they had to start selling that collateral. And then you get into what's called a margin call loop, and that threatened the insolvency of the pension funds because they were going to run out of collateral. We have that same problem here in the U.S., right? We just may not have gotten to the point here in the U.S. just yet that we know of, right? We haven't seen anybody screaming uncle just yet. But we have that same problem of pension fund leverage in the U.S. as well. I mean, you know, pension funds are boring, Right, because of their normally conservative posture, but they haven't been conservative in recent years. They've been investing into private equity and hedge funds and all kinds of other extraneous asset classes to try to boost returns because of the fact they are paying out more people and have less people contributing. You 
you know, the financial crisis doesn't have to be subprime credit, right? This is, and this is, I think, one of the mistakes that many people think is like, oh, we can't have another financial crisis like 2008 because we don't have the subprime mortgages. No, but we got a lot of other debt. We've got a lot of other stuff in our system that are, as Warren Buffett once described, weapons of mass destruction, right? Credit derivatives, derivatives of all types, um, you know, lots of leverage, high levels of debt. I mean, there's there's a lot of things that can call or, or there's a lot of things that can cause, I should say, not call, but cause financial instability when something breaks. And this is the the big concern that we need to think about. And it's kind of clear that you know, again, while pension funds are often considered dull by investors because of their risk-averse profile, they face a threat to their insolvency, as can really any financial institution, because of what happens when a lot of debt issued at low rates are impacted by very rapidly rising rates. Now, this is, and this is the big difference. If rates rise slowly over time, that's one thing because things adjust over time. So if rates kind of gradually creep higher, the economy can adjust for it, financial systems can adjust for higher rates, et cetera. When they spike higher, or in this case with the Federal Reserve, they start aggressively hiking rates, the economy and the market itself and all the instruments tied to it don't have time to adjust. And that's why something breaks. You know, we talked about the other day, um, you know, what happened during the, the, the financial crisis. And there's a, there's a great movie with just an all-star cast, right? It's got Demi Moore. It's got Kevin Spacey. I mean, just, just a, a, a whole plethora of, of really dynamite actors. And it's called Margin Call. You get a chance, watch it. Even if you're not a big financial buff, it's a, it's a movie worth watching because it really kind of explains what happens behind the, what happened behind the scenes in 2008 to, to a, a reasonable degree. And, of course, uh, the firm that is being represented in the movie is Goldman Sachs, right, because they were the first ones to clear out their books, dumped all their stuff off on everybody else, and left other people hanging in the bag, right? So... But what it explains is in this movie, and we talked about this a little bit the other day, is that, you know, all of these investment structures that we do, whether it's in this case, it was mortgages, right? But it could be anything. And, you know, it could be currency, it could be uh, interest rate swaps, it could be stock swaps, whatever. They're all based on models. And especially today where we have so much of our, uh, of our financial markets run by algorithms and computers and everything else that these are all based on models. And these models are based on the assumption that, well, never in history has X done this or has Y done that, right? Interest rates have never risen this far, this fast, ever before in history. And, you know, because of that, we can build some models around that certainty of, volatil of volatility. And all these models come down to volatility. You know, how far can, they, how far can prices move before it causes a complete break in the system. And that's what happened in the mortgage market. Nobody expected what happened to happen, right? All these models, and this is why it's a, it's a decent worth, uh, a decent watch if you don't really understand what happened in 2008, margin call, fictional, but does a good explanation of, of you know, 
here's a firm that has all of these mortgages tied to a model, and that model's breaking. But it can happen with any asset class. It doesn't have to be mortgages. And banking is a business of trust, right? We trust our banks and we trust our bankers. That's when we, we give them all of our money. And then, of course, they're doing what we call fractional banking, where they take a dollar deposit and they loan out $10. And as long as there's not a run on the bank, right, everything is fine. As long as, as, long as there's a point to where nobody demands all their money at once, right? You know, when, when you look at your bank account, that money, you know, you have your balance in your bank account, that money is not there. That money's been lent out, done other things with, right? You just have a digital earmark for how much money you're supposed to have in your account. It's just all accounting. But there's not a lockbox with a bunch of cash in it with your name on it. That just doesn't exist. And, and in fractional banking, that's the whole purpose. You make your deposits. I can loan out against that. And the model is that as long as nobody you know, claims more than what, you know, I have readily available on my fractional share basis, right? I'm okay. But if all of a sudden there's a big rush on the bank, I've got to, to, you know, start drawing in all this capital. So the risk of the financial institutions is and remains a run on the bank. And, not, and, and you know, the worst possible outcome is a run on multiple banks, right? All of a sudden, and, you know, savers get scared and they go, just give me my money. I want my money in cash because I don't trust you to hold my cash. That is your Armageddon event for an economy is a run on the bank because that money isn't there. Right. And that's the whole purpose of fractional share banking is to allow this leverage in the financial system. But it's all based on one premise. Trust. So the big risk is a loss of trust in the financial system, which we got close to that in 2008. People remember that. And so the problem with the break, whether it's pension funds or some other asset class, is a loss of faith in the system that causes a run on banks. Be right back at the rate. We'll finish this up. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. Let's go, girls. What do women want when it comes to finances? Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for a special ladies' edition lunch and learn what women need from Social Security. Thursday, October 20th at noon. Get the most out of your Social Security benefits. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next ladies' lunch and learn. What women need from Social Security, Thursday, October 20th at noon with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. I got to tell you a funny story. <laughs> so my wife and daughter go to Walgreens the other day. So, so my daughter was in town for the weekend. Um, just to visit, uh, she flew in from Lubbock and so we're all hanging out. Anyway, she needs some stuff to take back to school. So my wife takes her down to, to Walmart. Right. And, and so, 
you know, you've heard about all these stories about, you know, in California where these people are just looting stores, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and stuff like this. And, you know, nobody does anything about it. And so they, so, but you don't really hear much about it here in Texas, right? right at all. Yeah. And, and just thought it was funny. There's because, a reason for that. Well, that, yeah, but it's not different because my, my wife and daughter, they're in, Wal, in, in this Wal, Walgreens. And it's them and the cashier and this one other guy. Now, it's 90 degrees outside. And this guy walks into Walgreens wearing a very heavy coat. <laughs> and he's walking up and down. He's and, and apparently cosmetics are have a good resale value, right? Because because every time that they you know they talk about like a Walgreens or something in San Francisco, it's generally they stole a bunch of cosmetics or whatever it is. And so this guy's in the in the cosmetic aisle, walking up and down the aisle, you know, you know, slyly putting stuff inside of his coat. And finally, and finally, the the cashier goes, "Sir, can I help you?" And he's like, "Uh, who? Me?" And my, my daughter speaks up. She's like, "Yeah, you. <laughs> You're the only one in here besides us, and we're not in the cosmetic aisle." <laughs> but just you know, just goes to show you, you know, it it, it, it happens everywhere right yeah. now. There's just yeah. this, you know, just because there was a um, a clip up on. Uh, Fox News here just a, mo a moment ago in our studio talking about you know the rise in crime wave in across the U.S. and and again as we continue to uh, pass these laws, uh, Governor Gas Gavin Newsom out California has now banned or outlawed, I guess, repealed the law mm -hmm. on jaywalking. Right. So repeal the law on jaywalking. Yes. So apparently in California, if you jaywalk, it is un it is it is an inequality because lower income people that get caught jaywalking can't afford the ticket so it's not fair right so he's now repealed this law hmm. on an equity basis and ah. so now you're free to jaywalk in california and you don't have to worry about paying a fine <laughs> there's a reason why jaywalking <laughs> is illegal it's because it's not just to to get more money out of you it's because it's dangerous right you go walking out between two parked cars the guy coming down the street doesn't see you that's why there's these things called crosswalks <laughs> with lights they're going to solve this problem one way or the other yeah you know <laughs> darwinism you know the next thing will be is that the repeal of the jaywalking you know law was unequal <laughs> because because poor, stupid people are getting hit by cars now. You know, it's like, it, it just, but this is where we go. But I just thought it was interesting because you don't hear a lot of this coming into Texas. No. But, you know, yeah. but, you know, here it was. This, and again, nobody did anything. He just, he loaded up his coat and he walked out the front door and that was it. Oh, right? they didn't divest him of his ill-gotten gains? No, uh, can't, they can't do anything about it. But that, that hasn't changed. Actually, I used to manage, seven, I, when I was in college, mm. one of my part-time jobs between teaching martial arts and doing a bunch of others, so working for banks, um, I actually worked for 7-Eleven. And, you know, there was, you know, especially when I was up on 6th Street in, in Austin, this was back in the day, by the, by the way, like a billion years ago. Nice neighborhood. Yeah was back then yeah yeah not anymore no um but you know back then if somebody came in and robbed the store you just basically let them go because the the theory was is that it's not worth you know a customer another customer getting injured or or an employee you know getting shot killed whatever over you know a carton of cigarettes yeah you know just just let them have it let them take it and go and it's all insured anyway so it doesn't matter the same so, thing in banks yeah. I, i've worked in banks as well and yeah. they tell you if, if somebody comes in and points a gun and asks for yeah. the cash just give it to them let them go yeah it's all insured yeah 
And, and so and so that's the point. So that really hasn't changed. And, and, and again, so this really isn't about a law change. It's really about employee safety. So if they rob you, just let them go and you know, it's no big deal. But I just thought it was interesting because, you know, this was a real time, yeah. you know, incident of seeing that actually come to Texas. And my daughter's like, yeah, you. <laughs> She's talking to you. They talking to us. <laughs> talking to you. It's Marissa Tomei and my cousin Vinny. Yeah, yeah, yeah you blend. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway. All right. Back to work here. Um, so just talking about uh, for the break, you know, the issue of a financial crisis, right? And, and you know, the, the point here is that a, a financial crisis can arrive from a lot. It doesn't have, you know, again, this is kind of one of the big mistakes that, that I think people are making uh, in, in a lot of ways is going, you know, kind of focusing on the financial crisis, 2008 financial crisis. I get a lot of questions from media as examples like, well, is this like 2008? And if you say yes, then they go, well, yeah, but we don't have the subprime mortgages. Well, that's true, but a financial crisis doesn't have to be in mortgages. It can. We have a lot of leverage throughout our system, everywhere, right? And and you know that's the real problem. And and again, if you kind of go back and look throughout history, we've had multiple financial crises in history. Eighteen nineteen, uh, there we had, and, and again, you know, the panic of nineteen oh seven, the panic of you know others. We've we've had these bank panics from time to time. Uh, the panic of 1819 in the United States, people were queuing up outside of banks and long lines to, you know, basically get their money out of the bank. They were worried that the banks were going to fail. And, you know, this is one of the risks with pension funds, right? So we've got a lot of people that are working longer in life and, 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 and they are dependent and they are depending, I should say, on their pension fund for their retirement, right? But they're working longer. It's like, well, I can't really afford to retire yet, but I've got my pension fund, so I'm good. So the big risk for a pension fund is a run on the pension, right? Just like a run on the bank. They've got a lot of leverage there, you know, they, and, and again, the way a pension fund works is I've only got so much in assets and what I have to do is I've got fewer people paying into this pension and I've got more people I have to pay out. So what the models say is that every year I will only have so many people retiring and becoming a, a withdrawer from the pension. And so as long as I'm generating this rate of return and I have this much money coming in and I have this much in, in, you know, in income generation from the pension fund, I can afford to make my payments to all the pensionees. The risk to a pension fund, particularly, you know, when you talk about municipal pension funds, um, you know, in particular, um, but even, you know, uh, city, state and, and corporate pension funds. The big risk is, is that all of a sudden people start to worry. And I'm not, look, I'm not saying this is going to happen. I'm using this as an example. OK, I'm not saying this is going to be this is going to be the issue. This is an example. But one of the the risks for a pension fund is that something starts happening with interest rates, and you know all of a sudden there's collateral calls, there's margin calls coming into the pension fund, and the pensionees get a whiff that their pension fund might be in trouble. So their first inclination is, hey, I'm done, I'm out, I want to start drawing my pension today. And you have a run on the pension. There's not enough assets there to cover those withdrawals from the pension, and it blows up their model. So that's so see financial crises can occur in anything 
where you have a tremendous amount of assets and a tremendous amount of leverage. And what triggers a financial crisis of some sort is a loss of trust, right? That loss of faith. What causes that loss of faith? Some type of headline event that occurs because a pension fund is in trouble or two or three or whatever it is. And what causes the pension fund to be in trouble? It's either a, a massive loss in the value of their assets or it's an interest rate problem that creates a crack in their leverage, which is the most likely possibility that we have in our current environment. Because again, asset prices are down 23, you know, uh, after yesterday's rally, we're down about 22% for the year. That's not the end of the world, right? You're not down 50, right? If you're down 50, that's a different problem, 50%. Down 20, 22%, no big deal. You know, pension funds can, can handle that. Um, but what they can handle is a very sharp increase in interest rates that, A, blows up their bond book or creates a, a margin call situation to reduce leverage. You know, we're, and we're seeing that those kind of cracks again. You know, we saw it with the Bank of England, Credit Suisse. Uh, yesterday, stock was down pretty sharply over their CDS concerns, right? Their collateral default swap which is kind of a measure of health uh, for the bank, started surging, right? People were kind of losing some faith in the solvency of Credit Suisse. Now, it doesn't mean that they're going to go bankrupt. It doesn't mean that at all. But again, what that led to was a very sharp sell-off in the stock price, right? People started dumping the bank stock, right? And well, again, if I've got a lot of assets, if I've, you know, if there's a lot of customers that have assets with Credit Suisse and all of a sudden they begin to worry about the solvency of Credit Suisse, then they start withdrawing all their assets at once. You know, there's your problem, right? It's all about trust. So when we go back to, to you know, the, the, the real problem that, you know, faces the markets, it's all about sentiment and trust and it's not just about banks it's not just about pension funds it's about the entire system if people become worried about the financial system and they be begin withdrawing assets at a rapid pace to protect themselves that leads into a virtual downward spiral because the further that asset prices drop the more people take out which causes prices to go down which causes people to take out more money that's, that's the risk that the Fed faces. And the more the Fed hikes rates and the more aggressive they are about it, that's the risk that they run. And that's the point where something ultimately breaks that causes them to reverse course and reverse course very rapidly. That's going to be the big question. All right, come back from the break, wrap things up. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Let's go, girls. What do women want when it comes to finances? Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for a special ladies' edition lunch and learn what women need from Social Security. Thursday, October 20th at noon. Get the most out of your Social Security benefits. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next ladies' lunch and learn what women need from Social Security. Thursday, 
October 20th at noon with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. All right, get ready to wrap things up. All right, so the point here is is a couple of things. Um, you know, the market is extremely oversold, and we are due for a rally. And again, you know, we're going to get this rally, and it could be fairly strong like it was back in June. So if you remember back in June, we were saying the same thing, right? We had incredibly negative sentiment. Markets were extremely oversold. Um, three standard deviations below the, the means, blah, 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 blah. We went through the whole, the whole setup, and we said, you know, we're due for this rally. And we had a very nice 17% rally out of that. And, and we said one of the kind of the key defining moments will be when Jim Cramer comes out and says, yep, that was the bottom. Um, you need to be long stocks. And he did that. And then markets retest and set new lows. Now, same setup. Likely going to have a, a decent reflexive rally. What we need to get some gas to the fire, so to speak, is for Jim Cramer to come out and say, yep, that was the bottom. Now, Jim Cramer is awesome because he will call every bottom all the way down to the final bottom. And the only thing people remember is that he called the final bottom, right? So this is the important thing. Eventually, he'll be right. But use this rally as an opportunity to raise some cash and rebalance risk because I don't think we're out of the woods yet. And, and the reason is that the Fed, again, until the Fed stops hiking rates, until the Fed stops QT, you've got a liquidity problem for the markets. Inflation is going to slow down. That's going to, be, that's going to help a little bit. But we've got a lot of more work to do on that front as well. And the economy in particular is certainly under duress. Consumers are, you know, ramping up credit card spending. And again, you know, the problem with spending and the problem with, you know, uh, consumption and, and these type of things is that they have a propensity to turn on a dime. Right now, everything seems to be okay, right? We just saw, uh, you know, recent spending numbers. and like, Everybody's fine. It's all good. But these things have a potential to turn very quickly. It's like unemployment and it's like... Um, you know, jobless claims. All of a sudden, everything's great, and then all of a sudden, it's not. All of a sudden, you got massive layoffs going everywhere. These things turn very quickly, and you don't know when they're going to turn, but they can turn literally within a month or two. And all of a sudden, you're trying to figure out, you know, what's going on. Now, the problem, as I've said before, is that everybody's expecting a recession. The fact that everybody's expecting a recession on a contrarian basis bothers me. Because historically, nobody sees a recession coming. Now, everybody sees a recession coming. So I don't know what's going to happen, but there is a potential something totally unexpected can happen here. Maybe the lows that we saw on Friday were the lows. I'm not saying that they, I'm not saying that that couldn't be the bottom that we saw on Friday. Certainly have the negative environment for it. But it certainly seems hard to suspect at the moment that that was the bottom, given the fact that nothing's really changed, either monetarily, fiscally, or, or economically at this point. So I think you have to remain cautious here, at least for now. 
use this rally to raise some cash, rebalance risk. And again, this morning, you know, futures are pointing nicely higher. Bitcoin's trading higher. And, and again, you know, kind of asset classes that have been risk on are all trading higher together. And, you know, and also, too, September was a brutal month, right? It was a really tough month for stocks. And so you just expect from a, the, the sheer magnitude of the sell-off we had in September that a reflexive rally is, is certainly possible. But again, I think it would be dangerous to assume that we just saw the bottom and you're loading up on equities. And, and again, you know, there, there are certainly equities out there that are fundamentally cheap, and it doesn't mean they can't get cheaper. But in, in times of crisis, there is always opportunity. And I think this is one thing to also remember is that just because there are things that are going on globally, economically speaking, as well as financially speaking, and there's certainly some risk that is out there, there's also some opportunities that are certainly developing themselves. We've, we've talked about fixed income lately where, you know, you've got one of the best buying opportunities on record to add long duration bonds to your portfolio, right? You just don't get these opportunities very much in history. And you have one of those in the bond market right now. Equities will be getting there. We're not there yet. There's still a lot of overvaluation in the markets on multiple levels, but we're getting there. You know, we're reversing those valuations. And I think one of the things that, that will be key to all of this ultimately is seeing the Fed stop hiking rates and stop doing QE. Uh, sorry, QT. And that will be your first indication that we're likely getting closer to a bottom is when that occurs. But again, I, I think, and, and again, you know, what if this is the bottom? Right? What if we just saw the bottom on Friday? We won't know that for a while. Markets need to get above the 200-day moving average. They need to do a lot of things to repair a lot of the technical damage that has occurred this year. And, and you know, that's going to take a while to confirm. So as an investor, you certainly have a tradable opportunity here to make some money. And, I, and, I, and you know, you can certainly take advantage of that if you've got the skill, you know, to, to buy here and sell a little bit later. But if you're looking to buy and hold something long-term, you know, let the markets heal up first, right? Let the markets tell you that, you know, the bear market is over and then make your longer-term bets. You're, you're going you're to miss some of the bottom, and that's okay. There'll be plenty of upside from here when we get there. And I'm just not sure we're there yet as, as a function of just the other things that are going on in the markets overall. Um, interesting story out this morning. Just a couple of things just to wrap up the show. just thought this was interesting. Um, a few years back when Bitcoin was first really coming around, we talked about this on the radio show about this guy. His name was Ross Ulbricht, and he was arrested. And this is when Bitcoin was first kind of really getting some early traction. And he was arrested. And, you know, when he got arrested, he was the guy that built this dark web website called the Silk Road. And, you know, all he did was just build this website. And people started using this website for all kinds of things, murder for hire, um, selling drugs, paraphernalia, all kinds of illegal activity was going on, on this website. And it was all done anonymously because it was through Bitcoin. So people had these cryptocurrency wallets. But back then there was only one cryptocurrency. It was Bitcoin. That's all there was. Um, 
And so they would do all these transactions very anonymously. And, you know, they were buying and selling drugs, doing murder for hire, all kinds of stuff. Now, he didn't, he didn't promote any of this stuff. He just built the, the domain for these actions to occur. And he didn't stop them, right? And, and so what got him in trouble was the fact that he was basically ranked up as a drug czar, for the most part, for creating this facility to transact drugs. And he got an incredible sentence, right? He was sentenced to two lifetimes and 40 years in prison. Now, this was back, you know, early on in, in, in the, the life of Bitcoin. He's been in jail now for over a decade. And it's interesting because he got two years, uh, two lifetime sentences in 40 years for just owning a website that was transacting drugs for the most part. And a lot of other stuff, by the way. But, you know, you look at some of the people that are committing crimes today and they're getting off with very light sentences. And, and here's this guy still in prison. And, and again, he's not getting out. He, his two lifetime uh, sentences were without parole. And so it's a very, this was a very stiff sentence for this guy. What was interesting, though, is, and he made this comment, and in this comment he said, well, at the time that I built this website, and in hindsight it was a terrible idea when I built the website, but at the time I believed that all drugs should be legalized. I thought, you know, legalized drugs were the way to go. And so I built this website, people were doing this, and I didn't care because, you know, I thought drugs should be legalized. Well, now that he's been in prison, he sees the effect of what drug use does to a lot of people. And he's been spending, you know, time incarcerated with people that are in prison because they've committed all kinds of crimes to feed their drug habits, right? And now he has a totally different outlook on life. He's, he's like, no, I don't support legalization of drugs. I don't support drug use at all. Um, he was never a drug user. Right. He just his view was this kind of, you know, socialistic view that that has really risen as of late is that everything should be legal. Right. We should have legal this and legal that. And, you know, you shouldn't be prosecuted for your crimes and, you know, those type of things. And, you know, what he's learned and the, the important lesson that he learned being in prison was, is that, you know, drugs are bad <laughs> and not just for the user. Of course, you know, he's still fighting. He's, he's still fighting his sentences and he's trying to, you know, ultimately get out of prison. But again, he's been in over a decade now and, and he's going to his fight's going to continue. But I thought it was a really interesting article. Um, and it was actually um, he actually wrote the article for Bitcoin magazine. And so if you want to read it, it's, it's Ross Albright um, about the Silk Road. and It's in Bitcoin magazine. Probably look it up online and, and find it. But it's an interesting article, very interesting perspective from a guy that really you know, we talk about the issue of Bitcoin, and right, everybody's like, oh, Bitcoin's a currency. Well, this was the first guy that actually built a system that used Bitcoin as a currency. Way ahead of his time in prison for two lifetimes. All right, wraps up the show for the day. Dow up 414 points. S&P up uh, about 60 this morning. NASDAQ up over 220 points. Uh, should be a very, a fairly strong open this morning. Question will be is, can we maintain that all day? Very nice rally yesterday. Good follow through today. The important thing will be that we kind of maintain this rally if we're going to get 
a tradable rally from here. So we'll be kind of monitoring that. We'll come back, talk to you about it tomorrow. And of course, get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Also, our three minutes of markets of money will be up here shortly on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. See you back here tomorrow.